Welcome to the Bitches Be Brave podcast. We know how difficult and crazy it can be to juggle family, career, and not to mention make time for yourself as a busy working mom. So it's time to get inspired and gain the tools to create a life you love. We are your hosts, Bev Steele and Heather Hobbs. Join us as together we motivate, inspire, and gain tools to thrive in all areas of life. Let's go. Welcome to the Bitches Be Brave podcast. On today's episode, we are going to be interviewing Jean Chatsky, who is a Today Show financial expert and New York Times bestselling author. And we talk about money. You know, she talks about the fact that today, more than ever before, women have more money and we have more power, but we're still conflicted. And I feel like we still don't really talk about our money. We don't really know what to do with our money necessarily. And it's been kind of one of those just hush hush things that I think a lot of times we nobody talks about it. We don't know what to do. Yeah, that's true. I did love the analogy of the debt diet and mm. you know irregular food diet, just because to me it's it's very much the same. You, you know, can you relate about- to that. <laughs> <laughs> you relate to diet. I can relate yeah, to I'm- that more than the debt diet, right? Yeah. So therein lies the problem, but. I think we get in our groove and we don't want to look at it, right? So until you sit down and really kind of figure out where you're at, where you need to go, you're not going to be able to make any changes that you want to make. And uh, it's, you know, you have to understand all of that. And especially if you're in a relationship where one spouse is taking the lead more in that area than the other, it's very easy just to, you know, be blissfully kind of, well, I think if for no other reason, right, our entire podcast is based on being brave and being able to really have the life that you want and, you know, find your passion and your purpose. And I think you have to have some financial security to be able to do that. And, you know, one of the areas, and we we really didn't even get to dive deep into this part in the book yet, but it is about like asking for more money for your employers and being brave enough to go and ask for money. Because I think so many times we're still being underpaid. I mean, even though it's been just so public, um, you know, about women making less than men, it's still happening. And I think it's, if we can't go out there and make what we deserve or learn how to really maximize our money, then it limits some of the freedom that we have to be able to, to do the things that we want to do. Yeah. It's, you know, I was just having a conversation with my husband a couple of weeks ago about this because it's a very difficult conversation to have when you see what you think somebody making more, getting hired at a higher level. And then you go internally and say, well, maybe they just didn't want me. Maybe I just wasn't good enough. You know, it plays to all of those things that are, are inside ourselves where we don't feel confident and we do have to get more confident and we'll just have to have Jean back. Cause that to me would be an amazing podcast just to talk about that one subject. Yeah. I think that we do need to take control of maximizing, you know, our money. And we've talked a lot about the side hustle um, and, you know, creating other revenue, other you know, revenue streams that we can have that help support, especially in times like right now. I mean, just so many people are getting laid off and losing their jobs and it just becomes really scary when you realize, you know, how much we depend on that and how we can get to that place of financial freedom. Yeah. And, and get rid of the waste. It's like, 
I get pinged uh, from Apple all the time. It's like 99 cents. Well, I'm too busy to go see what that 99 cents is. But if you go and onto your iTunes and see all those little charges, especially if you have children, everyone, that little app that they got that was only free for a certain amount of time, it adds up. Mm -hmm. So really have to take a look. Look at those things. Yep. You guys are going to love this episode. Jean is amazing. She's written 11 books. And as I mentioned, her latest is Women with Money and completely relevant. You guys are going to love this interview. And let's not forget she was on Oprah. Jeez, I love that. So here we go. Here we go. Welcome. We're here today with Jean Chatsky, who's launched Her Money Media and HerMoney.com in 2018 to provide women with information about money they can actually trust. The award-winning financial editor of NBC Today, Jean has also appeared on shows including Oprah, MSNBC, CNN, The View, and Talk, and many others. Millions have turned to her podcast, Her Money with Jean Chatsky, which has re received shout outs from the New York Times, Yahoo Finance, and Refinery29. She's the best-selling author of 11 books and an in-demand motivational speaker. She's also AARP's financial ambassador and a fierce advocate for financial literacy. We are so excited to have you on the show today, Jean. Thank you and welcome. Oh, thanks for having me. So you've written 11 books, which is amazing. And I know your latest book that I have here in front of me is called Women with Money that recently came out. And um, I, was, I was definitely drawn to it. I think it's something that our listeners are going to be so excited to read about. But what, what brought you to this particular book after all your books to be writing about women with money specifically? I really... Um came to it as a result of working on the Her Money podcast. I've been doing the Her Money podcast now for almost three years, and we've built a very um, exciting community, um, thousands and thousands of women who get together on Facebook and share answers to each other's questions and problems and information in a very judgment-free way. We launched hermoney.com um, almost two years ago now. And it seemed to me that it was just time for a resource for women, not just about the fact that we have more financial power than we've ever had before, which despite the fact that the salary gap is still not closed, we do but about the fact that we want to do different things with our money than men do, that we want to use it to um, not just take care of ourselves and our family and buy the sort of safety and security that is really paramount to our financial needs and our financial confidence, but we want to use it to change the world. We want to use it to take care of the people that we love. We want to use it to start businesses and buy homes, whether or not we have partners to share them with. And we have this unprecedented opportunity to do that in a way that we never have before. And so that's what brought me to this book at this time. I like that. I, I always think about focusing in on your, or personally my money or, you know, my budget, that kind of thing is like working out. Like I know I need to be doing it, but I don't want to look at it. So how do you recommend for someone like me, who's not super high detailed, like too much information drives me crazy. 
um, to begin? Like what would be some baby steps as far as kind of thinking about your money, your budget? And I love what you talk about, like doing different things with it. Cause I think of, yeah, I want to do things for my kids and I would like to help with this charity, but kind of pulling that all together on what makes sense and really where I want to go with it. From a high level, I think it's really important to start with what you want your money to do for you. When I started working on this book, and I've been a financial journalist my whole life, I went out and I asked hundreds and hundreds of women that question, you know, what do you want? What do you want from your money? And once you know what it is you want, and if you have a spouse or a partner, what they want, and you can sort of align your hopes and your dreams and your goals and your wishes, then you can work backwards, essentially using this financial resource that you have, any money that you have coming in to make it happen. It's not rocket science. Yes, you're totally right that there is so much financial information out there, much more than when I started reporting on this. I mean, you could just go down the rabbit hole that is Yahoo Finance and stay there all day and come away still overwhelmed and not knowing what to do because there's so many different stocks to buy and there's so many different mutual funds to invest in. And that's really not what it's about. I think there are five steps um, and they are pretty much baby steps. Essentially, once you start doing them, they should become habits and you should just do them for the rest of your, your life. So the first step is that you have to bring in money. Um, and right now with the country reeling from uh, coronavirus, there are a lot of people who are having trouble with that. And I don't want to discount that in any way. Um, if you're not bringing in money on a consistent basis, it's very difficult to accomplish any of the other steps. Um, but earning a decent living, not an exorbitant living, a decent living enough to put food on the table, pay your rent or your mortgage, safe car to get you back and forth to work, enjoy yourself once in a while. That's really what you need to do in order to create a comfortable, happy life. The second step, and this is where people get into trouble even during times when the economy is chugging along nicely, is that you have to spend less than you make. Um, and that is, um, for some people, really, really difficult to do. Like it's sometimes difficult not to eat that chocolate donut because you just really want it and you really want it right now. So we can talk about how to, how to make that happen if you want to dig into that one a little more. The third step is that you have to take the money that you're not spending and save it and then invest it so that it works for you as hard as you're working for yourself. The fourth step is that you have to protect this financial world that you're building with insurance and an estate plan so that no disaster can come along and take it all away from you. An emergency savings cushion is a form of insurance and what we've seen during this crisis is exactly how bad it is that so many people don't have a basic emergency cushion. And so, you know, I think for years you've been listening to people like me say, you know, make sure you've got this emergency cushion and people are like, yeah, we'll worry about that later. Well, we have now witnessed why it is a complete and total priority. And then the, the fifth thing on the list is that we got to find some way to give back that, that, talks to us personally because 
Um, although more money doesn't always make you more happy, figuring out some way to give back absolutely does. So I love this. And I think I want to kind of go back to what you were saying at first is that, you know, I think it's, it's so funny when you look at maybe the differences between men and women, but I think so many times we don't talk about money, right? It's become one of those like things that you just learn to hide and you kind of talk broadly about it, but nobody really talks about money. And I think that used to be something I love in your book where you talk about investing and it says, you know, I think you mentioned in there that you are an investor. You just don't feel like one. And mm -hmm. I think it's because I, you know, you sit at the table sometimes with men and they talk about what they're trading and what's out there. And I feel like it's a very common table talk, whereas with women, we don't. And so how, I mean, how to even, I love the five steps, but I think how to even like get yourself in that realm of saying, um, you know, how do we even know if I'm doing good or if I'm doing bad? And I'd love to hear your thoughts because I know you did some small groups in your book and you kind of had that forum where people started talking about for the first time um, about money and, you know, what are your yeah. thoughts? Do we need to do more of that? A hundred percent. I mean, this is something that we do um, at Her Money. We have, a, we have an evening called a Her Money Happy Hour. And during this crisis, we've been doing them online with our community, but we also do them with real groups of people where we get together. I do them when I travel. Um, and I developed this to be very much a party game. I have um, a set of cards, questions in a box, and I pull cards and I ask people questions and they're leading questions. They're designed to be leading questions and they, they just get people talking, you know, questions about what's enough questions about would you rather give your kids too little or too much questions about the fact that we share shopping tips with our girlfriends so why don't we share investment tips and whether or not it's okay to hide a secret stash of money in your underwear drawer it's it's um you know they're personal questions but once you are with a group of women and you start having this conversation it gets easier to have it again. And I think we need to be having it all the time because we are, as women, when you look at longevity, when you look at divorce, when you look at um, the, the statistics on the number of single women who don't wanna get married, don't wanna have partners, I mean, the, the trajectory and the chance that we will be managing our money at some point in our lives by ourselves is about 90%. And you don't want that to hit you by surprise. You, you want to be um, driving the bus far before that happens to you. Yeah. yeah I think that it's probably horrifying my husband to think that oh, we're managing all of the money someday. No, I'm kidding. Um, well, and, you know, any relationship, you all bring your strengths, right? You, you bring your strengths. And it seems to me that would be very typical that one person would really have more of a passion for the reading and the research. And in my case, it is my husband. He really loves to read Barron's and, you know, take it all in and, and thinks of things a lot differently than I do. Um, how do you help couples with that? Because we have, like we used to go out on a Friday night and have our little happy hour and we'd talk about things and he'd update me and we'd go back and forth and I could bring my business perspective. It's like, wow, I heard about this company. Let's look at this company, you know, that kind of thing. But I'm curious to know from you, how do you help couples maybe yep. 
even that out a little bit, but add their own strengths. And maybe it's not the research or whatever. Yeah. And I, I'm not saying that you have to invest on an equal footing, right? You, that both people, we, we have far too much that we have to do in our days, right? For yeah. everybody to do all the things. But, but let's just come back to what Heather was saying um, a minute ago when I, she made the point that I, in the book, point out that we are investors, most of us. We just don't feel like one. So if you've got a 401k or an IRA or a, um, a 403b or a 457 or some kind of work-based retirement plan, um, you're investing, right? You're just not doing it actively. Maybe you signed up, maybe you said, okay, just put me into the target date fund that lines up with the time that I'm expecting that I might retire. Or maybe you said, okay, I'm going to buy these index funds. And then every time you get paid, you put some money in them and, and it just keeps building until recently when it went down. And, you know, it over time it will go back up again, but um, that's okay. It, we don't have to be traders. We, we have this perception in our, in our minds that to be an investor, you have to be Jim Cramer screaming at the television set. And that's just not right. You know, it isn't. We can be very successful investors by figuring out an asset allocation, a risk, a, a, a mix of stocks and bonds that works for our age and our risk tolerance and just putting money in throughout the years. That's fine. It's legit. You don't have to do more than that. But what you do have to do, and, and you have to do this with your spouse if you have one, is understand where you're trying to go. You need to understand when do we want to potentially retire? How much money are we going to need to have in order to continue to live our life the way we want to live it? And based on our current rate of saving, are we on track to get there? And if you're not, well, that's the time to sit down with your spouse, maybe with a financial advisor and say, what do I have to do? What levers do I need to pull in order to get myself there? Because it's not really about the money itself. It's not really about the investments it's themselves. It's about the life that you want to live and the fact that you have this limited resource called money that you have to maneuver to provide that life. Mm -hmm. I'd like to go back when we talk about to the um, emergency savings cushion. And, you know, we talked about that just being so relevant right now. And is there a magic number or an equation that you suggest that people have as that emergency cushion? Yeah. I like to see a six month emergency cushion minimum if you're living on one income and a three month if you've got two incomes. And that's typically because, you know, both people won't necessarily lose their incomes at one time. Mm -hmm. um, now, you know, we're living in very, very unusual times and people are losing their jobs at a much greater um, pace than they have before. You know, fortunately, we've had the CARES Act to step in and supplement with some additional money for the government and expanded unemployment benefits. Mm -hmm. um, so I hope that people who are, are taking advantage of those, particularly those for whom um, being on unemployment in this way has actually given them a raise. I hope they're banking some of that money. 
Um, but where I get really, really con concerned is that we've got years of research that show that about half the people in this country have nowhere near that in terms of an emergency cushion. You know, they couldn't put together $400 if they needed it um, in an emergency without using a credit card or borrowing or selling some sort of a belonging. And if that's you, then I would say work on saving a couple thousand dollars first. Work on just shoring up a couple thousand dollars. And then we'll talk about three months. So we'll talk about six months. But let's just get a couple thousand dollars in the bank. Your tax refund, if you're going to get one, is a great starter emergency cushion. Your stimulus payments, if you don't need to use them for rent or food, are a terrific starter emergency cushion. So, so let's think about those things. Yeah, that's. I really think that that it, today's today that's such an important conversation. But every day, I'm thinking of my three daughters, and we talk to them a lot about you know choosing to buy something. You know, it's different that being able to afford something or choosing not to buy it, right? Mm -hmm. um, and the different buckets that you can put things in. And I think that when things are great, you need to be thinking like that. And it's almost easier to think about it when things are not so great because you really find ways to cut when yeah. you're forced to. It's when things are do it going great. My husband says this to me all the time. He's like, how come every time we ever got a raise, we just, it goes out the door too. You know where you it's know, going? It's going to subscriptions. I mean, I, I oh. saw a statistic the other day that the average household gets 21 subscriptions, right? And they're streaming services and they're mm. things in boxes and we just sign up for things and we totally forget it. Forget, yeah, just apps. Get rid of some of those subscriptions. Yeah. I think that is such a great point the subscription services that you just completely forget that you, and they, you saw, you know, you hit the agree and you're agreeing that they can just keep automatically renewing. Like hitting your card. Yep. Yeah. So that was definitely the best practice. I think we went through our bank account one time and just, yeah, things like from when my kids were young and they were using like certain math online subscriptions and then like, that's yes. not even relevant anymore. I'm still paying for it. Yeah. Um, so how, I mean, when you're looking at then building this emergency cushion, you just gave some great examples how, um, and you mentioned step number two is spending less than you make. So what is, you know, is the, is it more important or equally important, I guess, to cut back and spend less than you're making or to also supplement with like a side hustle? You know, I mean, how important is it to have that separate revenue of income? I think it's a little bit of both. Um, the cutting back is the easier of the two, particularly right now. And so when we're looking, um, I think the whole key to resilience, particularly in times like these, is that is the understanding that you really are best off focusing on controlling the things that you can control and letting go of the other things. You can control your spending to a greater degree these days than you can control your earnings. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think trying to build up a side hustle is a great thing to do, fabulous thing to do, um, especially for people who don't really like what they do every day. Building up a side hustle that you enjoy that could potentially become a replacement for this unfulfilling work, amazing. But while you're at it, just work on reducing your expenses. And um, Bev, you, you were talking about the, the sort of 
interesting link between food and money. And I, years and years ago, I, I developed a program for Oprah's show called The Death Diet, where um, it was essentially a diet, but we were cutting expenses. And it works exactly the same way. You know, just as if you are trying to lose weight, you track your calories. I, I mean, I don't care yeah. if you're on Atkins or WW or, you know, really what you're doing is, you know, calories in versus calories out. And the same is true with money. So if you want to reduce the amount that you're spending, the very best thing that you can do is track it. Um, and just get really, really honest with the numbers because once you track your spending for a month and you see where your money went, then you can make changes in where you actually want your money to go. You can cut back, you can get rid of line items. It becomes incredibly transparent and clear. And so well, that, that's I, how I do it. I use an app called MyFitnessPal to track mm -hmm. my... So are there apps that out there oh, that there are, are really so many. There are so many. Um, you can use, uh, our community really loves YNAB, which stands for You Need a Budget. Um, you can use Mint, you can use Clarity Money, you can use um, Honey5, which is uh, allows you to do it with your spouse, um, where there's a little bit of autonomy, but also a little bit of working together. You can use Personal Capital. I mean, there's just, there's so many. Wow. Do you use one of those, Heather? I have. I have a bunch on my phone. I can't say. Really? <laughs> I'm I impressed. I'm really good about them. But um, no, I do. And I think, I think one thing that people don't often even know is what their own bank, like if you use your ATM account, your own bank can actually give you a really awesome itemized. It can tell you like how much is in groceries, how much is in, you know, I mean, it yeah, really yeah. itemizes. That's what I use a lot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I use, I, you know, I'm on, I'm on my bank account every day, right? Yeah. I'm on there to pay a bill or do something every day. And so that's what I use to manage. Oh, yeah. okay. And it's, and that alone, I mean, it, cause it can show you differences from month to month and you know, you can see, wow, shoot, we really ate out a lot this month. Mm -hmm. And that's one area you can really cut back or, you know, shopping, you know, that type of purchases, you can definitely, it, it at least exposes it. So you brought up, and we've we haven't really hit on this too much yet, but we've talked about you know relationships and when you do this with your spouse. And I can say I know from a lot of my girlfriends that oftentimes you have two very different perspectives on money and relationships. And you know, and it's not always just the women who are spenders. I have a friend of mine who she's a saver and her husband's a spender. Yeah. And um, you know, I think, and it's interesting, it kind of goes back, I guess, to the story, you know, you talk about the story that we have built, that we've created in our minds based on our childhood and, and experiences. But, you know, how do you suggest that couples kind of work through differences when they look at money very differently? I think um, understanding where you came from in terms of your, your personal history is really important. The, the money story that you were talking to about is really the feeling that you absorbed about money in the home where you were raised. And if you haven't dealt with it, if you haven't sort of looked at it and said, oh my God, this is why I am the way I am, then it's just ruling your life um, and you don't even know it. So it's important to try to think back about how was money treated in the home where you grew up? What was your parents' relationship like when it came to money? What was the feeling 
about money. Like, you know, was there tension uh, when the visa bill came? Was there sadness rather than joy around the holidays? I mean, what did you absorb? And you need to know that about your significant other as well. And then I like to start with the romantic stuff first and then work backwards into micromanaging the elements to get you there. If you can get on the same page with your spouse or partner about those goals, you know, what do we want to do? what do we want this year? What do we want in 5 years? What do we want in 10 years? And how are we going to make those things happen? Then you can work together in order to get there. Um, but you need buy-in on the big stuff. I also think though, we have this very misguided perception that just because you marry somebody that you're the same. Um, and I can tell you, you know, when it comes to um, spending money on things, my husband and I were really different. Um, you know, he, I shop for fun. Um, he, he, he would never shop again if he didn't have to, right? It's just not something that he gets pleasure from. And, um, we need to give ourselves the space to be the people that we are. Um, and if that means having a separate pool of money that each of you can manage for the things that, um, that make you, you, I think that's equally important. Right. No, there's some things that are left unsaid or unknown. Right? <laughs> if it's not going to hurt, they don't need to know everything that our money is spent on, right? Exactly. <laughs> or or yeah. that you're, you know, it's okay to have your own money. I mean, yeah. I'm a big believer in your, I've been divorced. I've remarried. Mm -hmm. I'm a big believer in having my own money. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I agree. You know, it's, it shouldn't have, I don't think it's good for a relationship to have to account for everything or explain everything or have anybody looking. I mean, I just don't. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I also, <laughs> we'll think, I also think that the outside world is really judgy yeah. and you find something that works with your spouse or your partner. It's totally fine to just close ranks and you know, you do what work you do. You, you do what works for you and your spouse. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And I, I even, it, I think more often than not, to Heather's point, is there one is a saver, one is a spender for whatever reason. And sometimes the person that may be a spender can nudge that person in the direction that may be good. And I think about that for my relationship, just we've moved twice since we've been married and both times I really kind of pushed that. Um, but what I offered to my very smart saver is I did lots of research and I, you know, I presented it in a way that it became a decision by both of us, but I needed to, to show how we could, could get there. So I don't know. Yeah. But I think that's exactly how it should work, right? You both bring your strengths to the table. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mine's really a sales pitch. I'm in sales. It's okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> I had a PowerPoint. No. <laughs> I am. Yeah, no, I think that's okay. I mean, I, I have, I've talked to parents in the past whose kids have come with full PowerPoints about why they need an increase in their allowance. So if your Self kids phone. get that from you, then, you know, that, that works too. Yeah. 
So you mentioned in step number four, the importance of protecting your money and the like estate planning. And so how, and is there a difference? And maybe you could explain like the difference between a trust and a will. And, you know, at what point do you need to have that? Do you wait till you're, you have kids, you wait till they're grown? Is there a, is there a kind of a mark in time that that would be important to make sure you have in place? Anybody who has a, a child needs a will. Like 100% no exceptions because a will is the only document that allows you to name guardians for your kids. So you have a kid, you need life insurance and you need a will. Mm -hmm. You get married, do you need a will? Everything is going to largely pass to your spouse. If you, if you don't have a will, the state will determine what happens to your assets and, um, and each state has its own rules. And if you are in agreement with those state rules, then I guess you don't need one. But um, I think anybody who has accumulated assets that they care what happens to them um, should have a will. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it's not a difficult thing to do. Trusts are different. Trusts, you need a lawyer. Um, not everybody needs trusts. Trusts are basically um, strings uh, to it's attaching strings to various gifts to exert a little bit more control about how they pass from one person to another. It's also sometimes um, a move to avoid taxes, but the estate tax um, limits are so high right now that unless you're significantly wealthy, it's not always necessary to have one for those purposes. I think... Um, the other really important thing to focus on is making sure you've got enough life insurance to mm -hmm. care for the people who um, would be left hanging if something happened to you. Mm -hmm. so That's such a hard like, thing. Go on. I just wanted to ask about, I know there's like um, applications, like LegalZoom is out there. Is that mm -hmm. something safe enough to do? I'm mm -hmm. just curious, like if you wanted to get a will done, is that- Simple will, that's totally fine. Sorry, Bob. Yeah, no, that's fine. I think, yeah, and those are big things to talk about. Um, but I also just think like little things like where are things in your house? Where are, is the file? Having mm -hmm. those conversations because I do, I'm at the age I've had friends that have lost spouses and there has been turmoil not knowing where to find things. Is it at, at his office? Is it, you know... Yeah, where are the passwords? Yeah. Exactly. The I, I, passwords, we have, huge. Passwords are huge. No, we have mm -hmm. um, we have non-legal documents that are just essentially letters um, mm. that basically, this is where everything is. This is who you should call. This is the lawyer. This is the accountant. This is the bank. These are the, you know, this is the password manager that we use. Yeah. Um, and and it's it's a gift to provide that kind of information. And you're, you're totally right. If you've, if you, um, I mean, this is why I, I believe so much that, that both spouses need, need to pay attention to what's yeah. going on. Um, because if you, if you abdicate and then something happens to your spouse, then you, you truly could be lost and, and you don't want to be lost at a time when you're grieving. There's enough to worry about. Do you have that document on your website? I, I, like I don't, um, it is, uh, 
but there are instructions in the book basically for, for how to do one. It's called a okay. letter of instruction and suggestion. Okay. Oh, My okay, stepfather great. is responsible for the suggestion part because he has lots of suggestions, but okay. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's just, it's just a basic roadmap. Awesome. Great. I love it. I love the story you share about your home and how you kind of came to this place where um, like what was really important to you and kind of, you know, you wanted something that felt cozy and homey when you were purchasing your home. I think it was after your first year divorce mm-hmm. and how I just want to touch on the house subject because I know this was, the, and there's probably so many differences, but I grew up in the Midwest and in the Midwest, too. the, it was, you know, the goal is you pay off your home and that, and people did, you know, everyone did that really for the most part, that was the big accomplishment. You pay off your home. And now I live in Southern California in San Diego and the median cost of homes is crazy high. And so I just am curious on your thoughts around, you know, attaining to pay off a home and how important is that? Or what are some of the things that you need to think about um, in terms of your equity in your house? Yeah. And I get, I get pushback on this one. I believe you should pay it off before you retire. I think you make your life so much easier if you pay off your home. You just have an additional cash cushion that you could use to pay for another place to live, to live in as long as you want. I mean, it's, it just, it eases the transition from having a substantial income to having a less substantial income when you don't have to worry about paying the mortgage every month. That said, with interest rates so low, I know there are a lot of people who believe you should always have a mortgage and that you should just, you know, borrow this money and, and invest the rest. And my answer to that is if you're actually going to do that, maybe, but I, I think it's often an excuse. Um, oh, I'm just going to have this, this loan and I'll invest the difference between renting and, and uh, mm-hmm. owning and people don't do that. So um, I, I, am, I will be well out of my mortgage by the time I retire. Good job. (laughs) (laughs) I want to say the same thing. Well, Jean, I'm sure that all of our listeners are going to want to read your book and look at your website. Can you let them know how they can find you? Sure. Hermoney.com. And um, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. I'm, I'm, I'm on all the platforms. I definitely suggest that our listeners get the book because there's so many areas that we didn't even get to go to today that I still wanted to, such as kids and raising your kids and giving back. Um, But I thank you so much, Jean, for sharing and, you know, for really giving our listeners and ourselves um, some really good tips on, you know, how to go about this. So thank you so much. And one question that we ask all of our listeners that we want to ask you is what does it mean to you to be brave? It means not being afraid to say, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And that's a really hard thing for a lot of women to do. And it's a really hard thing for people to do around their money because we all, I think from time to time, feel like we should know a lot more than we actually do. But there's, I can't tell you how many times I, I have said, I don't know how this works. Please explain this to me again. Take it back a step so I can really understand it. 
um, it's the only way you learn. Yeah, I think that's great. And I think at this time when maybe we have a little more time, we're not commuting to the office. And if, if anybody during this whole interview thought, gosh, I don't know that. I don't know that. Be brave and find out. Take the time now and find out. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I love because I think it we hit it at the very beginning is that of all times right now, I think this is a wake up call for everybody, no matter if you've lost your job or if you haven't lost your job, I think just knowing what's going on out there, it's caused awareness for us to look and say, where is my money and am I protected? And what can I do to set myself up in case, you know, this, this gets worse or this happens to me. So um, I thank you so much for taking the time and sharing with us today, all of your amazing wisdom. So we hope we can talk with you again soon. Thank you oh, so thank much. Thank you. Jean. My pleasure. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye.